welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Good morning. When I was in college, I went to Vanguard University. Yeah, Vanguard, right? I was a TA for a human sexuality class. So at 20 years old, there was three classes that I had to teach on my own when the professor went out of town. And uh, I won't tell you what the first two were because they're a little graphic, but the third was uh, on Lama's hee-hee-ho-ho breathing for women giving birth. And so as a 20-year-old, I had to walk 50 students into a gym and coach them on how to give birth. Um, I remember walking into the gym and asking myself, how did I get myself into this? I'm teaching something I know very little about. I kind of feel that way this morning as I teach on holiness. And we're teaching on holiness and its connection to worship. And if you're anything like me, you bring up that word and you don't feel holy. You don't feel worthy a lot. You don't walk feeling that you're reflecting the majesty of the God that we serve. But we started this series last week on worship, pursuit. And right out of the gates, you see that holiness is at the center of what it means to worship God. Our text last week was Romans 12.1, where Paul writes, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God. This is your true worship, proper worship, living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God. Being holy has so much to do with what it means to truly worship. Pursuing holiness seems to be the only adequate response to a majestic God. Pretty clear, pretty straightforward. But then why, I ask myself this week, do I struggle with that word? Growing up in the church, I remember a lot of sermons about holiness and it always seemed to be about avoiding the bad behavior, about staying away from the things that would keep you from going to hell. If I asked you, probably name them. You know, it's smoking and drinking and and cursing and sex and, you know, the list kind of goes on and on. Remember, at Vanguard, there was a prohibition against dancing. Um, And it was, you know, if you didn't dance, you were really following God. And we used to joke that the reason you were not allowed to have sex was that it would lead to dancing. Uh, And that was my idea of holiness, this, this thing to avoid. But you see, the problem with it, for me at least, was it didn't do a lot to motivate me to worship God in holiness. Avoiding bad behavior alone was very powerless to motivate me to worship God. 
And I realized it drastically shaped my worship. If I had had a good streak of avoiding sin, I'd be able to come in and raise my hands and worship God, you and me, we're together on this thing. And I'd experience worship. Or if I crashed and I burned and I needed to fall on my face before God, I'd experience him in worship. But it seemed that my worship depended much more on my behavior, my feelings, or on my management of sin than it did on reflecting on the character of who God was, who he is. I did walk through college and through life with a pretty big fear of God that I think in some ways, a lot of ways, is really healthy. Realizing he's this amazing, incredible, majestic God who's so powerful and that he can send me to hell. That was daunting, that was heavy. That he was this fire. This passage that we're gonna look at today in Hebrews 12, confirms this. If you have your Bibles, 12, chapter 12, verse 28 through 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our Lord is a consuming fire. I like how Eugene Peterson writes it in the message. And we're gonna use the message a lot this morning. Do you not, do you see what we've got? An unshakable kingdom. And do you not see how thankful we must be? Not only thankful, but brimming with worship. Deeply reverent before God. For God is not an indifferent bystander. He's actively cleansing his house. Torching all that needs to be burned. And he won't quit until all is cleansed. God himself is fire. God's not a bystander. He's on the move. He's building his kingdom. He's a force. He's a fire. This is heavy stuff. We serve a powerful God in whose presence the only response is surrender and worship. It says later on, earlier on, in uh, Hebrews, that God is literally shaking both the earth and the heavens with his power. And that as he does it, in the end, the only thing that will remain is that which is eternal, that that is built on the kingdom. Reminds me, I do work in Haiti, watching the seven plus earthquake in Port-au-Prince, January 12, 2010. And as that earthquake shook, and it was a strong earthquake, buildings just fell, crumbled, and crushed hundreds of thousands of people. And although it was a strong earthquake, the real reason there was such devastation was because the construction of the buildings was horrible. It was built out of the worst concrete, no bond beams, it was built with a bad design. And when tested with a strong shake, everything fell. Makes me think of Psalms 127.1. The psalmist writes, unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. 
I ask, what materials do we build our lives out of? Will they stand the shaking? Will they stand the tests? How easy is it for us to build our lives on materials that won't? The fear of the future, fear of safety, the fear of loss. How often do we build our lives out of desires to please other people, get accolades from people? How easy it is for us to build our lives on material wealth, career success, and family security. On our appearance, we're in SoCal. How much attention do we put on our bodies that one day we'll be six feet under? How easy it is to build our lives on physical gratification, what we eat, what we drink. All these things, scripture says, when the shaking comes and eternity comes, will subside in the presence of God. Do you feel that weight? How weighty is this? You can begin to feel this weight as if, as an unworthy man, filled with flaws, that I have no chance to do what the scripture calls me to do, which is to be holy. Sometimes it feels as if I can't make it. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel challenged that because you look at yourself and you look at your inability to follow a holy God, it doesn't line up? But Hebrews, in the same passage, doesn't let us off the hook. Doesn't come alongside us and go, pobrecito, I'm so sorry. Just hunker down and try to make it a few more years. You'll get to heaven, just hold on. No, it says you can be holy, and here's how. Verse two and three. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished the race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in with God. He could put up with anything along the way, the cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. When you find yourselves weary in your faith, go over that story again item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. I hope this morning you feel adrenaline in your souls by the time we're done. Because see, the writer of Hebrews says, yes, we're called to be holy. And this is how you follow Jesus. We have the power to pursue holiness because Jesus did it. He identifies with our struggle. He's run the same race that we have, and he's done it. He's proven that you can live a holy life. The author in this text introduces an athletic metaphor, someone running a race, which in Roman times would have been extremely appropriate for the history, the legacy that they had on on the games. 
And so here we have Jesus as a runner, a forerunner, showing us how to be holy. So as we begin this pursuit in worship of holiness, the very first lesson is that we follow an example of Jesus, that he has paved the way. If you follow athletes, we'll follow the paradigm this morning, or the metaphor. People emulate people. If you wanna learn how to have a good golf swing, you watch Tiger Woods up until about three years ago. (laughs) If you wanna watch other athletes, you follow them. You look at how they swing. You look at how they, they do what they do. And you emulate it. How many people do we follow in this culture? Fashion, politics, music, actors, So much of how you live your life is following someone that you hold up with high esteem. I would say if we struggle with holiness, it's probably because Jesus is not our primary example. That we don't wake up every day intent on following who he is. Jesus also gives us a goal. We know where we're going, and that's the presence of God eternally, that as we worship and we come in, that we get to do what Jesus has done, press forward every day to be in his presence. And because Jesus already did it, we don't have to wait until we die. We experience his presence now. The passage in Hebrews says we've inherited that kingdom already. But there will be a day when our bodies are done well, we'll be able to be in his presence forever. If you've lived long enough, if you've felt pain long enough, if you've had trial in your life, that's incredible news. That whatever you're dealing with, whatever struggles you have, it's temporary. That the goal is presence with God forever. And it gives us a way to do it. And that way is endurance. Step at a time. This is not a sprint, it's a long race that we get the chance to do this day in and day out. Don't get too ahead of yourself. Don't try to swing for the fence. Follow God on a daily basis with endurance. You know, it'd be one thing if it was just Jesus and nobody else that could come close. It'd almost be easy to say, well, I'm not Jesus. There's Jesus, and then there's me. You know how we do that in the church sometimes? We'll pick a few people in a congregation and we'll kind of crown them with that superhero Christian. Like those are a few superhero Christians. They're the ones that, that really can do and the rest of us are kind of flock. That's not what scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that we're all athletes in training. And it even says in Hebrews 11, I won't read it, it gives this long list of people that have done it before us. And it says in verse one through four of chapter 12, do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we gotta get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat. 
no parasitic sins. In all this, in this all-out match against sin, others have suffered far worse than you. That'll sober you up. To say nothing of what Jesus went through, all that bloodshed. So don't feel sorry for yourselves. Now with this long list in Hebrews 11, Moses and David and Jesus and the disciples, all the people that have done it, we can do this. We can do this. Holiness becomes something we can obtain. And it's not just refraining from bad behavior. It's not some type of like stoic existence. It actually doesn't hold you back. It actually empowers you to live the life God wants you to have. Holiness is a gift. Holiness is running the race and accepting the identity that we have already been given as followers of Christ to follow in the path that Jesus has given us. This picture of others cheering us on, both before us, now, and for eternity. Holiness is exercising faith in every area of our lives, not holding back like an athlete with hyper-focus on the prize at the end of the contest. So picture of this for me. My boys, they swim for a local high school and they swim every day. They go back to practice. And I don't know if you ever watched the regiment that swimmers go through, but it's crazy. It's like three, four, 5,000 yards every day, like three miles swimming. I could never do that. And I watched them and my boys are water polo players, so swim is something that's required to do. So they don't actually love it. And when I ask them, like, well, how is swim when they come home? We swim. <laughs> I say, hey, do you enjoy it? They look at me like I'm asking them if they enjoyed getting a root canal or something. See, it's hard. You work hard. But a couple weeks ago, they, uh, they swam in league finals. And so I got to go and watch, and they swim, they're long-distance swimmers, so they swam the 500 yard. And this is the, the long one. You kind of sprint for 20 laps. And they uh, began to prepare through the couple weeks leaning up to it. And swimmers, when they really prepare, they, they lean up. So they watch what they eat, how they taper down their workouts. And so that's what my boys were doing. And the night before, the whole team had shaved, shaved their entire bodies. Um, which was a little weird, but they did it. <laughs> and then they put on those funny hats, right? And they jumped in for the swim. So just imagine I'm a dad and, you know, the two boys, and you're like, yeah. And the boys are in the same race, the finals. So it's the DeSoto boys. And they start going. And they're against schools in the area. And they start kind of emerging. And I'm just sitting there. Everything in me wants just like, yeah. <laughs> You know, but I'm just sitting there, mm, it's good, <laughs> right? And they start taking, and all of a sudden they start taking off. After about 300 yards, they just take off. And they just speed past everybody. And they go, and I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> the announcer's like, it's gonna be trouble at the DeSoto table tonight. <clears throat> and they finished one and two. 
And I was, yeah, I was like, hmm, right? So all that work to go in to win this race, the picture came to me. What if my boys would have gone up on the decks to swim? And instead of being lean and shaved and ready to go, they would have come up with boots, pants, shirt, a coat, a hat, an overcoat, and gotten ready to jump in and swim. Everybody would have been looking around, saying, how ridiculous do they look? They're not going to be able to race. They might even drown. That's what Hebrews is saying we do when we try to run a race, but we don't pursue holiness. We sign up for the race. We sign up to follow Jesus, but we keep all this stuff on us. We allow distractions to come in. These nagging sins to continue to grip us. We make excuses and it literally would be like jumping in that water. That's why a lot of us are drowning. He puts it this way. He tells us, and he actually gives us specific areas in this passage. Go back and read it this week. First one, he says, and it's interesting that he calls these ones out. He talks about a bitter root, bitterness. You want to be held back in your holiness allow there to be even the smallest bitter root towards someone else of unforgiveness. You ever not forgiven someone and just let that seed fester? What does that do to you? It destroys you. And then it kind of feeds to where you start seeing everybody else in the same way. He also says, make sure that everybody extends, you extend grace to everybody. Which one way of saying that It's no prejudice, no discrimination. You know we by nature huddle together. That will hold you back from holiness. If you don't look upon those around you, the other, and actively try to extend grace, that actually holds you back. Then he calls one out specifically. Sexual sin. And man, this one can grip any of us. And we live in a culture today that is pervasive with sexual sin. That you can't walk out that door without this trying to grab you on a daily basis. Guys, gals, we will be stunted to death in our ability to pursue Christ and holiness if we don't deal with our sexuality that God allows us to live a holy life sexually. And then last, he calls it um, the Esau um, syndrome. Any short-term pleasure over long-term character. We are told that we deserve instant results, instant service. We're conditioned to live that way. And yet, anything that's worth its while comes over years of development of your character. 
You can't. I could no more jump and swim 500 yards today. I'd be lucky to swim 100. You don't get there overnight. You get that through day in and day out pursuit of Jesus. That takes a long-term commitment. You can lay aside these sins, but it's through obedience. One writer talks about our culture and how we deal with sin. Hey, Mike, how you doing, man? And he says it this way, and I, and I think it applies to worship. That sometimes our problem with sin is that we're focused on victory. We're so focused on trying to beat that sin that we're bound by it. But that wrestling is about us. Obedience is about God. Obedience is about you tell me I obey. You are empowered through the Spirit to obey God. And you need to hear that. When God quickens your heart, obey. Do it. The second you don't, you're allowing something else in. The road to holiness is a million times saying yes to the Holy Spirit. Being trained in the Holy Spirit. And yes, you know, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. And there are times when it feels overwhelming. But again, in the same passage, the writer says, Have you forgotten how good parents treat children? That God regards you as his children? My dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline. But don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves and that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he also corrects. God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as dear children. This trouble you're in isn't punishment, it's training. Isn't that good? That as a follower of God, a good father doesn't punish. Parents, don't punish your kids, it doesn't work. Train them, move them towards something, teach them. Yes, it comes with struggle, and yes, it comes with even consequences. Here's the thing about an amazing father, is that you might be going through struggles that may not even have anything to do with your own sin. But the writer says, that's okay, accept them as seasons, as if they were discipline, because God can take that and train you for righteousness. God is not an enabling father figure. Yes, he accepts us how we are, not how we should be. Absolutely. But he doesn't want us to remain in the status of a child. You accept your baby as a wonderful child, just as they are. But do you want to change their diapers till they're 18? No. You want to see your kids grow and become men or women, strong, secure, stable, confident, loving, right? And we're flawed parents. What does God want for us? He wants us to grow in holiness. He wants us to experience the best of his character. And that's why he allows us to go through stuff. If you embrace seasons of hardship as training, you will have hope even joy in the midst of them. Just a couple notes <clears throat> in closing. 
Often the pursuit of holiness is just taking one step at a time. It's not about trying to fix your life in one big swoop. It's not about one experience that's gonna change everything. Holiness, let me put these up, shines in the mundane training of daily living, one small step at a time. I don't know if you saw, anyone see the Boston Marathon this last, this last time, but there was one guy, and he was from Venezuela, Mikhail Malaman, had muscular dystrophy. Anyone see this? He ran the Boston Marathon. The winner of the race won it in just over two hours. Malama took 20 hours. And with a body that was pretty much broken down, took one step at a time and would just go. And coaches would come with him. And and when he would get him to be rainy and it was cold and he was just sometimes just almost in tears with the pain, but he would just keep going. And as he comes in, 20 hours after the start of the race, there was this crowd of people around him cheering his name. And he passed the finish line. And he had made it one step at a time. To me, that's such a picture of the Christian walk. Because sometimes we don't feel like the Olympians. We feel so weak. We feel so decrepit but we are called to enter the race. And that that example shows us we're in this together. We're not here to judge each other. If one of us are falling down, we pick them up, let's go. Let's do this thing. We can be holy. So how do we respond to this? Go back this week, I'd encourage you, if you're discouraged at all. Focus on Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. Study his way. Learn how he does it. Be deliberate in shedding your distractions. Man, I I know we harp on this, but go delete a lot of your apps on your phones. Go, Go strip the stuff that is holding you back. I want you to have that picture of trying to swim that race fully clothed this week. Watch your emotions attach to other things and pull you away from the presence of God. Watch your heart begin to split as you want to come to an experience, but then you start getting pulled. Let go of those distractions. Be vigilant of sin. So we worship in a few moments here. Bring before God your sin Picture yourself taking off those clothes for the race, getting ready to jump in. Bring him to God. Because holiness is how you run the race. Worship then is a lifestyle marked by holiness. Then, when we come together, and when we worship together, it's not about coming in and having an experience where our emotions can get roped kind of fired up and then we go back out and live in the same way. Then when we worship, it's because we've been taking one step at a time through the week and we've been moving towards the presence of God. And then we come into a room and we look at each other, brothers and sisters who've been trying to do the same thing. 
and even in the mundane, we see the holiness on each other because we're trying, we're in. And we grab each other and we say, we can do this, let's worship, let's go into the presence of God and let's worship him because he is holy. Not looking at myself, not looking at my sins, but worshiping the heavenly father that shakes the heaven and the earth. Let's experience that this morning. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.